Well, if you're just tuning in for the first time, we are in week five of a series called Wandering, where we're following an ancient uh, nation of people as they wandered through a wilderness. And what we're doing in that is we're also looking at how the lessons they learned through their wandering can maybe speak into the wandering that we're experiencing today. From the coronavirus to racial tensions to rioting and protesting, this is a time where more than ever we're between normals. And what we want to do in this series is simply talk about some of the things we can learn in this wandering that will help us when we're out of it. I hope you've been following along, but in case you haven't, just know that on our website, on the series page, you can follow along with all the messages. Last week, Ben got into an excellent topic about anger, and today I think might be equally engaging for all of you. The topic that we're going to touch on today is patience which, as you think about it, is one of those topics that all of us maybe wrestles with to one degree or another. And here's where if we were in a Zoom call, I would, I would ask you a question and then pause, because I think that what all of us are learning about patience in this season is more than we've ever learned before. In fact, if I could pause it and ask you a question, I would ask you this question. What is this season teaching you about patience? What are you experiencing right now that's maybe shifting your thoughts about patience or impatience? What are you learning about yourself? And as I've talked to a lot of people this week, one thing that keeps coming up is that while we're kind of all sick and tired of, you know, what's going on in, in today's world, what we're also learning is that maybe the things that made us impatient before, we're finding a little bit more tolerance for right now. And just for the sake of today's message, what do we mean by patience? Well, it has everything to do with this. Patience is all about the amount of time you willingly spend to reach a certain result. Whether it's helping your kids with in-school teaching or at-home uh, teaching, which, you know, thank goodness that spiritual enemy is gone now. Or maybe it's how you interact with coworkers. You know, how much time are you willing to spend in order to reach a certain result? And you might think of certain areas where you tend to not have as much time or you tend to not let people know you have as much time because you just don't have a lot of patience in that area. And here's why we have such a big tension about this. And here's why most Christians say that patience is the one fruit of the Spirit that they wish they had more of. It's because all of us have different amounts of money. All of us have different amounts of things. But we all have an equal amount of time. We all have 24 hours in a day. We all have seven days in a week. We all operate by the same calendar. And that means this, that time is the most valuable thing that you could possibly have. And when someone else veers into your life and starts to do what feels like wasting your time, that can easily push you into the realm of impatience. In fact, as you think about when that might happen for you, whether it's on the road or at school or at home or at work or just in the neighborhood, uh, things that certain people do with you or against you, as you think about the things that make you impatient, that actually says a lot about you because it lets on to what you view as most important in your life. If someone is wasting your time, if you get impatient with them, then you view your time to be more valuable than them. Or if you're fed up with a project or something in your house and you've spent so much time and now you're just getting impatient, it's because the value of your time is so much more than that project. 
And I'm going to put it this way, and we're going to reach a conclusion at the end that maybe you aren't expecting, but number one on your sheet, what you get impatient about reveals a lot about you. It reveals so much about you. In fact, what we're going to see is that what God gets impatient about reveals a lot about him. And today I want to open up some scriptures that talk a lot about patience and impatience, both on people's part and also in God's part. And before we do that, as before we get back to the ancient nation of Israel and see what made them so impatient, I want to share with you what the New Testament word is. As you flip through the New Testament and look at this thing called patience, the Greek word for it is this. It's macrothumia, which is kind of fun to say. So if you just want to say it at home, go ahead and just pause for a moment. Macrothumia, you know, it's kind of fun to say. But it's, this word for patience actually is a compound word. It's two Greek words put together. The first word is macro, which is a word that means long. It's the opposite of micro, which is short. So macro, which is long, and then thumia, which means anger or rage, or at the very least, pushed to a response. So in other words, patience is how long you can go without getting angry. But as we're about to see, impatience is not always a bad thing. Just like how last week, Pastor Ben showed how anger can be a good thing and the right thing, so also There are some things that we should not be long angered for. We should be short to anger with some things. And the best way I could think to illustrate this, um, I I ran this by our our building and grounds team, but they decided not to do it. The the best illustration was a firecracker or, or, you know, like a black cat or an M60 or an M80 if you're really dangerous. But I'm going to draw up, here's the engineering for a a firework, and it's really complex. You see, you start with a fire, and you put the fire on the fuse, and then the fuse leads to a boom. And I know this is blowing you all away right now, and this will probably, you know, make its way throughout the internet for all of time as such a deep truth. But this fire sets fire to a fuse, and the fuse eventually leads to the boom. And if you are like me, oh man, I grew up playing with fireworks every 4th of July, In fact, every June and August also, just because it was fun and I lived out in the countryside. And it really seemed to me like some of those black cats I played with had a much quicker fuse than others. You know, some you light it and you've got like three or four seconds to distance yourself or throw it, which I never never did that as a kid. But some fuses just seem to burn through real quickly. And that's the, the New Testament picture of what patience is all about. For some things, you have a long fuse until you go boom. For some things, you are impatient. You have a very short fuse. And the whole idea is this. Patience gives you more time, more of a fuse, so that you can disarm whatever it is that's about to blow up. And what I want to do is show you today how the ancient nation of Israel got a very short fuse to the point where they were blowing up against Moses and against God. And as we kind of dig up what they were going through and what led to their short fuse and their impatience, what we're going to see is that what led them to where they were at also speaks so much into what we are experiencing today. So that by the end, I'm going to maybe challenge you about the areas of life where you've been patient and the areas of life where you've been impatient And maybe those two things need to change. 
But instead of telling you the story, I'm going to show you the story. Here's what happened. The Israelites, the nation of Israel, they were slaves in Egypt. And we talked about this week one, how God delivered them. There was this deliverance from Egypt where they were slaves. And what we know is that they crossed the Red Sea. We're not sure exactly where, but they entered into this area of the wilderness. And the first place they would have gone after Mount Sinai and uh, after they got situated was up into this area here. And it's there that we hear that the doors started to close on them. Here they thought it was going to be a quick journey, a quick trip up to, into this new land that was going to be their own, this land of Canaan. But they soon began to face obstacles and closures. Uh, the first main thing that happened was Miriam died. Miriam was the sister of Moses. In, in our context, Miriam was basically the one who wrote their national anthem because after they were delivered from Egypt, Miriam wrote this amazing song that celebrated their independence from Egypt and their dependence on God. But now, as they're looking towards this promised land, Miriam dies. And then something unexpected happens. They come up to here and they meet the nation of Edom. And if just a quick story, Edom and the people of Edom were descendants of Esau and Esau was the brother of Israel. So basically they were coming up to their long lost cousins and they thought certainly Edom will let us pass through their territory to go up into the land that God has promised. But instead of giving them passage, Edom confronted them with their army. Edom refused them entry. And as they were trying to figure out what to do in this mix, something else happened to Israel. Aaron died. Aaron, the brother of Moses, who was basically the second in command. He was the spokesman for the people. And now Aaron has died also. And the people mourn for 30 days. And as they're trying to figure out what to do, something unexpected happened. The king of Arad, who lived in southern Canaan, he brought his army down to the Israelites. He overtook them. He captured some of the Israelites. And as you read through the story, basically the Israelites acknowledge it's only by the skin of their teeth that they were able to go back and recover their people and destroy the, the, the kingdom of, of Arad. And it was only by the grace of God that they were able to do that. So they were boxed in by Edom. They were attacked by Arad, and pretty soon they saw there was no way they could go up into the land that was supposed to be theirs, and this left them with one option, and it was not a good one. This is the option where after you've been traveling down the interstate for miles and miles, you, find, you, you suddenly see a closure, and the only way is to go backwards. What they had to do was backtrack down to the way of the Red Sea, and they would have to go all the way around Edom. And it's here that we see reality set in. They know that this trip is going to take so much longer than they ever wanted. Or to say it another way, this journey was going to cost them so much more than they were willing to spend. And you, I know, have experienced that very same thing. For some of you, it was a career move that wasn't moving. In fact, it was going backwards. And what should have been promotion was demotion or a, a layoff. Uh, for some of you, what you thought was turning into a, a lifelong relationship hit a dead end. And now you're looking for someone else just to connect with. There's so many different things that can happen in life, in your life. And there have been times when you felt the same thing, that the journey you were on was costing so much more than you were willing to spend, and you grew impatient. 
And in just a minute here, I want to show you what happened to the Israelites when they started to experience this. And there's something that I learned from this that I know that you can too. We pick, out, it, pick it up in Numbers chapter 21, verse 4, where it says, The Israelites traveled from Mount, it should be Hor, along the route to the Red Sea. They're going south to go around Edom, which is what we just looked at. But the people grew impatient along the way. Their fuse was getting really short. They were so sick of all the time and all the energy, all the resources. They were tired of all the people that they were losing from, from Aaron to Miriam and all the others that we haven't heard about yet. They said, enough is enough. And in the next verse, I'm going to show you what it looked like when they grew impatient. But first of all, I want to ask you that same question. What does it look like when you grow impatient? As you think about the last time you were impatient, what did it look like? And here's where you want to just say, preacher, please move along quickly because that was an ugly moment. I don't want to move past it too quickly. Would you just bring to mind what you were feeling in that moment? And more than that, can you maybe bring to mind what the people around you were feeling in that moment that you grew impatient? In that moment, you valued your time and your agenda to be of greater value than the people around you or the things that they wanted to do. It's an ugly thing to pause in this moment, but it is so much more than just angering the people around you or frustrating them. This reflects a spiritual issue because this is what happened with the Israelites. In the very next verse, here's what it looked like when they grew impatient. They spoke against God. And don't just view this as they got a little angry and they said a few words they shouldn't have said. They were actively rebelling against God and they also did that against Moses. And they said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread. There is no water. That was a lie. And we detest this miserable food. This was a few months in to the new reality that they were trying to face. And they had had enough. And as you look at the context of this entire journey, where God took them from and, and where God was leading them to, the thing is, they didn't have anything to be angry about or be impatient about because what they were receiving and in the process of receiving was definitely not something they deserved. God had a promise. Not just that they would have a land, but God had a promise through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that they were the line of the Savior that this world so desperately needs. But they lost sight of that. Sometimes that's what happens to me, maybe to you too. We lose sight of really the end goal. We get caught in the moment of what, what is this costing me right now and how much time am I having to spend right now? And we grow impatient. We rebel against people, and maybe even in our hearts, we rebel against God because he's not giving us what we feel we deserve. You see, the people, they lost patience because they lost sight of God's promise. They lost their patience because they lost confidence in what God promised would be. If only they had held on to that promise that they would have this land, that they would be the, the ancestors of the Savior someday. If only they could have held on to that, these little things in the meantime wouldn't have meant so much. And they would have willingly given their time and their lives. 
for the great promise God was going to keep. But they forgot. They lost their perspective. And as a result, as a result of them losing their patience, God lost his. Numbers 21, verse 6. This is the ugly truth. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes. It's not that he just permitted them to come along, but God actively decided venomous snakes need to infest these people. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. And it was to the point where the people began to realize this isn't just like a wilderness issue that, oh, we, we ventured into the wrong place and we must have stirred up some snake nest. They realized these snakes were no natural thing. In fact, perhaps this was bringing back memories of what had just happened in Egypt. The plagues of frogs, the plagues of gnats, of of locusts, all these plagues that God brought in Egypt have now followed them into the wilderness. And they realized what they were doing. God has no patience for what causes separation. And what these people were doing was separating them from God's promise, and he could not allow that to happen. He had to keep that promise, and so he intervened to bring them back to him. Could you just meditate and focus on this for a minute too? God has no patience for what causes separation. Have you been holding on to something that's been separating you from either a relationship with God, or the purposes that God has for you? Have you been holding on to what causes separation? And if so, on the one hand, I can tell you about God's patience with people, but on the other hand, I have to tell you as as a pastor, as your friend maybe, that if you hold on to those things too long, there might not be enough time. God gives you a certain amount of time here on earth. Sometimes we call it this time of grace where we get to learn about him and know him. And if we lose that time, if we hold on to the things that separate us from him, then what God fears most will happen, that you remain separated from him in the next life. And so God has no patience for what causes separation. He intervenes. And for those people, sending the venomous snakes was a gift because it led them to realize that the same anger God had over Egypt was now being thrown over them. And it got them to shift their attention to him. Verse 7 says that the people came to Moses. They realized what was going on. And they said, we sinned. We didn't make a mistake. We, We didn't mess up. We sinned. We defied. We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Moses, would you pray that the Lord would take away the snakes from us? And this illustrates a beautiful truth that you see throughout the Bible is that sinful people have no right to come into the presence of of a holy God. You need someone to stand between. And so they go to Moses as their leader, as the go-between, and they say, Moses, would you pray for God? Would you pray for him that he would take these snakes away? We realize what we've done. The damage has been done. Would you please pray that he would take them away. And all we simply see in the next uh, sentence is something beautiful. It just says, so Moses prayed for the people. What a beautiful moment that Moses, feeling the guilt of his own people, goes to God. And now it doesn't say what actually Moses prayed for, but I think it's safe to assume that Moses prayed for the very thing that the people asked. Lord, would you take away these snakes? 
So many people have been bitten. So many people have already died. Lord, would you take away the snakes that are killing us? And as God talked to Moses, God answered his prayer, but not in the way that Moses asked. Not in the way that the people even asked. Verse 9, the Lord said to Moses, I'm not going to take away the snakes, but I want you to make a snake. Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. And this has to be the moment where Moses is kind of looking at him, maybe with, you know, kind of a weird look in his face saying, now, hold on, God, you want me to make a snake and if people look at it, they'll live. That sounds kind of ridiculous. The people might laugh at me. And the Lord was serious. That sounds kind of silly. But the very thing that got you into this trouble will now be up on a pole. And if you trust me, if you look at it, you will be healed. You'll be saved. And so... Moses went back to the people. Maybe he told them what he was doing. Maybe he just went back to his tent and got to work. But what we do know is this, that Moses made a bronze snake and he put it up on a pole, as silly as it seemed. But then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. It's not that the bronze snake had some sort of special power to it. It's that God put a promise behind it, that whoever is bitten and looks at it will live They will not die. And that was a powerful promise that got the people's attention. They had become impatient against God because they had been spending way more than they wanted to on this journey. But God brought them back to realize that he was going to spend a lot more than they would. This bronze snake was not some amazing thing that people would then look at it and say, this is what saved us. But those people who experienced it had to remember what God did for them that day. He didn't take the snakes away, but God in another way has created a way for them to be dependent on him, to look at this snake and trust that the painful journey, whether that snake bite was in their leg or wherever it was, the painful journey to walk to that snake was worth it, that they trusted God to heal them. And as silly as this bronze snake was, They held on to it. I'm sure the first generation held on to that bronze snake as a reminder of how God had mercy on them and how he forgave them of their sin. And he showed them forgiveness by giving them a way to be healed. And this was a powerful reminder. I'm sure their kids grew up and said, why do we hold on to this bronze snake on a pole? It's kind of a silly thing. And then the parents would tell their kids, like, what happened? And this went on for generation and generation until 700 years later, we get to King Hezekiah. He's leading the people of Israel and he's going through a lot of reforms and trying to get them to clean up their act. And it says this in uh, 2 Kings 18, Hezekiah broke into pieces the bronze snake that Moses had made. For up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense on it. They even gave it a name. Nehushtan. I forgot to pretend to be confident as I said that name. But Nehushtan, they even gave it a name. And, And get this this was 700 years. Over 700 years later, they were holding on to this bronze snake. What was God thinking through those 700 years? And here in the desert, 
I forgave them. I healed them. They, they had to turn to me. And now they're turning their attention to this bronze snake for over 700 years, from Moses to King Hezekiah. And yet, throughout that time, what did God do? God was patient. God worked with them. Eventually, God sent a leader named Hezekiah to deal with this thing and to bring it up and to destroy it so that their confidence and trust would be in God, not in a snake. And I want to stop right here and ask you the question. I'm pretty sure you don't have a bronze snake in your house, but I want to ask you, how long have you been holding on to the thing that you shouldn't be holding on to? Was it a, a something from your past where God delivered you from something and you're holding on to something that you know you shouldn't? Are you holding on to something that you know separates you from God? Whether it separates you from, from church or from studying the Bible on your own or it separates you from a, a clean conscience before God, it's working between you and God and you're holding on to it. How long has it been? Did it start this year after the quarantine started to come into effect where you started doing things that you know you shouldn't have and now you're stuck holding on to them? Have you been holding on to something, maybe a grudge, that you know you shouldn't be holding on to? Have you been holding on to something secretly that you know, that you know separates you from the life that God wants you to have? How long? Have you been holding on to something that you shouldn't be holding on to? And as I bring that up, I have no power to destroy it. I can't do what Hezekiah did with the bronze snake. I can't crumble it. But I can lead you to the one who heals it. Jesus, one night, as he was speaking with a man named Nicodemus, he was uh, talking to Nicodemus about who he really was and what it means to be in God's kingdom. And Jesus is using this, this language where he's talking about being born again and in a new kingdom and uh, washing that uh, makes you a new child and all these different things that had Nicodemus confused. And at the end of this section, Jesus gives this clear message to Nicodemus about who he was and what he had to do. He said, just as Moses was lifted up, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Jesus would not just be the one who has a promise behind it. His cross doesn't just have a promise behind it, but his cross is the fulfillment of that promise. That though our sins require punishment, that punishment would be on him instead. And there's nothing we have to do to gain it. It's simply a trust, a dependence, a, a faith that God himself gives you that, get, that brings you into the healing power of what Jesus did on that cross. What have you been holding on to? Would you just look at how Jesus was lifted up for you to destroy the power that sin had over you so that you can be free? and just live as his child. Here's what I want you to remember. God is patient, absolutely patient, and his patience allows for your deliverance. 
your deliverance when he first brought you to faith, your deliverance that you need time and time again when we sin and sin and sin and get ourselves wrapped up in guilt and shame. His patience is ongoing every day for you and it is not too late to let go of the thing you've been holding on to. That's his promise to you. So would you spend some time this week thinking about that thing and realizing that God's patience has not ended for you. His patience allows for your deliverance. And as we wrap up today's topic, I don't just want you to focus on how God is patient, but I also want to bring up his impatience. I'll start this way. As you think about the season that we're in right now, with everything going on and maybe an end in sight, before we leave this season of wandering, there's an important lesson that we can learn from it. What lesson will this season teach you about patience? And maybe as, as you've already thought about it, like you've seen this season changing your, your, the way that you look at things already, where whereas you used to have a very short fuse because you had no time in your schedule, all of a sudden in this season, you were given time you were given a longer fuse. Um, what I also know is that this season, next slide, this season is changing your perspective on time and priorities. Not only are you given more time, but you're kind of resettling and saying, what really is important in life? It's so much more than making money. It's so much more than a career. What about the people around you? The season is just naturally changing the way we think, and there is something to take from that. But, Here's where I'll end. The end goal of this is not a longer fuse because what I know is that the longer the fuse, usually the bigger the boom. This is not about finding more time. It's not about that. It's about reflecting the patience God has for you. And it's about reflecting the impatience that God has for the things that separate you from him. So here's my takeaway. Let your patience reflect God's. For the people around you, let God's patience towards you be reflected in them. For the things in your life and the things that you can choose to do, let God's impatience reflect the impatience with things that might separate you from him. This season has so much to teach us about patience, but I want, you to, I want to let you know that it's so much more than just reorganizing your perspectives. It's about filling yourself with God's promises. Do not lose sight of them. Remember them. Focus on them. Because your Savior was lifted up to both be a promise and to fulfill the promise that you've been delivered. And there's so much peace in that. So this week, as you think about what to do with this message, would you maybe think about the areas in life where you've been impatient and would you think about the areas of life where you've been way too patient? And would you reflect God's patience in this season and the next season of your life? I'm going to close today with a prayer. Dear Father in heaven, it's really easy for me on some days like this and messages like this to be able to talk about patience. And, and uh, truth be told, there's so many examples from my life where I can share failure in that. And in days like this, as I led up to this message, 
There's so much grace that I found knowing that my sins are forgiven, that your patience for me has led to my deliverance. And my only prayer is that you would let that peace and comfort be for the people who are here too. So I ask you to give them the wisdom and guidance and the boldness to be able to look into their life at the things they've been too patient with and look at the things where they've been too impatient and not feel guilt over that, but rather be empowered by your grace and your deliverance to simply reflect your love for us. I pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen.